0: and listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board Podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Ellen Hooper about the governance of a lifestyle business. First, let me tell you about Ellen. Ellen is an executive coach and leadership specialist. She and Michelle Morgare co-founded the Growth Collective, a company that specialises in leadership development for new and emerging leaders. She's at the start of her board career as both an executive director with the Growth Collective, and a recent appointment as a non-executive director on the board of Early Childhood Management Services (ECMS). Ellen is also an integrity commissioner with Cricket Victoria and recently appointed to the Merit Protection Board in Victoria. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is awesome to have you here, uh, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation about, you know, lifestyle and governance. it's, it's not often a conversation had, however before we go there, as always, I love to dig a little bit deeper about you. So tell me about your upbringing. What lessons did you learn? What did you get up to? What were the leading influences on how you thought and what you did?
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I've been thinking about that a bit. I've been thinking quite a lot lately. I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old and my almost six-year-old is in their first year of school. And we've just been exposed for the first time to the school fate <laughs> and the governance around the school fate. <laughs> mm. And it really made me reflect. So I grew up in Western Australia with two exceptional parents. My dad had a very traditional leadership position. He was a partner in an engineering consulting firm. And my mum, as was really common in the, at the time, was home with us all the time. But she was also the president of every single Parents and Friends Committee of every single kindergarten and school (laughs) that I ever went to. I've been thinking about the school fate (laughs) a lot at the moment. And I've really been reflecting on how much I learned about leadership from my mum. And in particular, how that influenced my ideas about the connection between leadership and contribution. And I think a lot in the governance space that that's a driver for a lot of people. It's definitely a driver for me and my interest in a board career and, and in board roles. Yeah, it's interesting thinking and, you know, we're going to talk a bit about, about the growth collective today and how that came to be. But I had been really quite determinedly looking for my first board role and I had been doing all the things that you're meant to do you know I have been networking I had been trawling the uh, various <laughs> um, posting websites I had been applying for roles and of course the growth collective was something I was doing on the side and when it started and it became clear that we needed a shareholder agreement and we got the first draft I kind of went, I said to Michelle, <laughs> my business partner, oh, I'm going to get my first board role <laughs> right here. <laughs> and it's it's interesting that, yeah, connection between leadership and contribution. It's a big part about why we started the Growth Collective as well is being really passionate about those leadership skills in the early years of leadership and kind of seeing across our experiences both in organisations and as consultants to organisations that that tends to be I guess, an underinvested area of development and, and feeling really passionate that those skills early in a leadership career are actually really, really impactful for the people who work with you. And they're really, I think, the cornerstone of having diverse and inclusive workplaces where belonging is really fostered.
0: And it's interesting, isn't it, I I often hear from guests on the podcast that those family influences were part of, you know, what builds them, unsurprising really, but it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, your mother's the one that's running the school fate and now here you are years later doing the same and thinking about the governance of that because schools, early childhood, school fates. There's so many governance issues in there. You know, what's the financial sustainability? What are the risks? What's the people and culture of it? How inclusive is it? All of those things. I often hear people say, oh, it's just the school council. It's like, don't give me just the school council. There is a lot involved. Probably one of the trickiest um, (laughs) organisational impacts.
1: Because the other thing that happens with volunteering is we don't always get to align capability to need to,
0: and that can be tricky. Yes, oh, it's interesting. Did you say? I think you said you've got—is it one or two kids?
1: Two, yeah. Zoe, who's two and a half, and I like to say that she tantrums like a CEO. She's got some great, great leadership skills. Which yes. you know, I both would love to foster, and also um, wouldn't mind having a break from every now and then. <laughs> um, and my son Oscar is almost
0: six. Oh, fantastic! Well, it's interesting. Even now, they—they're watching you get involved in the governance as well, and in, you know, 30, 40 years' time, they will be on their own podcast saying, yeah, my mum was always involved in this <laughs> stuff and thinking about leadership and so on. And, um, yeah, I love that about Zoe. It's Isn't it interesting, I think, that often the traits that you admire in adults are the ones that are quite challenging as a parent, that independence, that obstinance, the, you know, free thinking, all of that sort of stuff. Absolutely. In our training programs, we often talk to participants about the fact that leadership, parenting and marriage involve most of the same skills. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, fabulous. Okay. Well, it's great to get some of that background uh, because it probably informs the conversation that we're about to have. So the governance of a lifestyle business. We often talk about startups, we talk about scaling and you very deliberately set up your organisation, the Growth Collective, as a lifestyle business, one where you could balance both your passion for what you're doing and your lives, basically. So I'm really interested about how you then consciously set up the governance for it. And you've already talked a bit about the shareholder agreement. So what does it mean for the governance side of things when you're setting things up in that way?
1: I think the first thing is that the governance came as a bit of a surprise to both of us which is um, really interesting because you know I obviously um, have an interest in board work and had was really actively thinking about it at the time we set up this business which it's really new the growth collective we're in our first year and I was reflecting about the risks about talking (laughs) about this stage of a business when you're really in it without um, perspective and hindsight. But I I think it's so interesting and I would have loved to have heard someone else's journey as well. And it always brings me back to the benefit of a beginner's mindset. Yes. Yeah. The governance was surprisingly a surprise. It shouldn't have been. And the thing about this specific, one of the key drivers for us starting this business was to do work that we really love to do. So we've got I in particular have a philosophy about doing work that I like to do with people that I like to work with in a life that I like to live. And so those three things kind of holding each other accountable from a balanced perspective. So often when you start a business like this, you know, it's you set it up to try to make it as easy to sell as possible or as easy to grow as possible or whatever it is that your vision is for it. And it's not that, if any of those things eventuated, we wouldn't consider them. But having a real drive or motivation for a business about, I guess, trying to really break that relationship that we have as consultants between our time and income, because that really does feed, I guess, certain behaviors in your life. (laughs) And so it was this piece about looking at how we're going to set up the structure of this business and realising that there were three different hats to wear. And if we looked over the kind of unknown life cycle of this business, then we probably would want to do different things in those hats at different times. And so those hats were being in and running the business, which was like very comfortable, very obvious to us, like very exciting, being directors in the business Mm And being really clear about that for um, a few reasons I might talk about in a second, and then the other is being a shareholder of the business. So right now we're all three of those things, and we were laughing because our excellent lawyer Ali from Sinclair and May, who specialises in small business, she sent us this checklist for the shareholder agreement, and we were like, great, we were working on you know building the website and developing the program content and we're like oh we should have lunch and we should go through this checklist <laughs> thinking it would be about what's the split of profit and how many shares do you have now how many shares do I have which of course was in there but we were laughing by the end of it because Anali says the shareholder agreement somewhere between a partnership and a will yes it's almost
0: like a prenup
1: yeah Clean up yeah, so then we were at lunch thinking we're going to have this fun time going, well, what happens if you die? Yeah <laughs> And what happens to your share? What happens to your share of the business if you're not here anymore for whatever reason that is. And that's when the distinction between the shareholder and the director became really important because there was you know some of those things conceptually really easy for us, which is well you've built this business. I want your family to have access to the financial benefits of it. But I'm not really sure that I want your husband trying to run this business with me. And you definitely don't want my husband trying to run this business with you. <laughs> so thinking about what happens to the directorship versus what happens to the shareholding in those situations is really interesting when you're at the stage of a business that that we're in. Yeah. And kind of thinking, yeah, thinking all of those things through and then trying to draft them in a way that that works. And we're both really clear, just like you said, just like a prenup, Mm -hmm. that we wanted to have these conversations when it was really easy to have them. And when you can reflect on them and think about them, and you know, the strength in our partnership is that we have very complementary strengths. But of course, that means we operate and think about things in different ways and at different speeds.
0: And such a great prompt for people to think about, you know, I often think about organisations and, you know, it starts with an idea, you're around the kitchen table, oh, we should set up the Growth Collective, or we should, set up whatever, a telecommunications industry yep. or a, or I thought of Facebook first, <laughs> whatever it might be, but you've got this idea <laughs> and then you go into this startup mode and often people just go for it and don't think through these things. So what I'm loving here is you've really consciously thought through what do we need to do to build the business as a business? What do we need to do to govern the organization as directors? And what do we need to do to ensure that it's healthy for shareholders? All of which is us. And I love that you've thought about the different hats because so often it all happens together. So how do you, how do you make sure you, like on a day-to-day basis... Oh, there's so much I want to ask in here. I want to start by saying, I don't know that we've got all the answers, but
1: I'm happy for the question.
0: (laughs) Well, and and often you don't, you you know, you're building the plane while you're flying it or whatever that saying is and playing with it. There's no guidebook to this. There's what other people have done. And you might pick up some of the things from what other people have done, but you want to make it yours. So those three hats, how on a day-to-day basis or a month-to-month basis or whatever it may be, I'm guessing... Often in these organizations, the default is working in the business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yep. what are the programs we're running? How do you make sure that director hat? You know, do you have directors' meetings where you very consciously do the governance side of things? How does that work in a practical sense?
1: Yeah, not yet, but we will. And the person that I think really lifts us up to a governance level of thinking rather than a doing level of thinking at the moment is our accountant. Mm-hmm. And so that's really useful too. And then there's something that will naturally happen as hopefully the business starts generating more profit, (laughs) which is then the the decisions about how to distribute that profit to shareholders, which is when the governance infrastructure will become much more
0: important and regular and more rhythmic as well. And so are you two everything? Are there other shareholders? Are there other directors? Is the accountant an advisor or is the accountant a director?
1: Yeah. The accountant and advisor, so we currently own it all and we run it all and we love it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We're bringing more and more people on to move into the operational part of it, which will allow us to kind of lift up into looking at it in a different way and a more strategic way.
0: Great. Okay, so then, yep, so you build the business so that there's more people there doing the doing. You can do less of the doing and do more of the governing although there's even that step in between often there's leading the organisation and then there's the governing of it as well okay so partly it's having the right advisors by the sounds of things like it sounds like your legal advice at the start was great I love that checklist that she provided to you to prompt some of that thinking around what do we do You've also got the right advisors in the accountant is prompting you to think about the governance side of things. So that's one of the things I'm hearing here. What, who else do you have in your advisor deck then?
1: Well, it's interesting as well because I think that we call on our families quite a lot. Like I remember having a very in-depth discussion with my dad about <laughs> different trust arrangements. Our husbands are different; have different interests and skills that we draw on. And the other thing that we really focused on at the moment is our networks as well. So who in our networks can help us get the business known more broadly and participate in our programs and, yeah, and things like
0: that. Right. So the advisors that you've got on deck to, you know, keep you one of both formal and informal by the sounds of things. And, in fact, I want to skip back a bit. I should have asked this at the time, but I was so interested in just thinking more broadly. But this the checklist that your lawyer provided you, What are some of the questions that ask? I heard some in there about what happens if you die? What happens then? But those broader questions, what were some of the things that prompted you to think about the governance? Can you think of some of the other stuff that was on that list that might be helpful for as people are listening to this and setting up the governance for their own startup or organization? I mean, partly get a decent lawyer that understands it. But if there's some of the things that you can remember, that would be really useful as well. And governance is all about that, isn't it? Going, who's the expert in this and how can they help us?
1: The most interesting thing from a governance perspective that I think we surprised our lawyer with was decision-making. So, and particularly when there's two of you, that's easy and hard when it comes to decision-making. There's a kind of common model of the roles of chair and secretary, like what do they mean? What Do they have any additional or specific powers? And What do you do when it comes to deadlock, you know, and we were really focused on unanimous decision making with two of us. And that might change over time as the business becomes more complex. But at the start of a business, I think it feels fair if you're both not willing to take a risk, then that's it. We've got the benefit of both being coaches. And therefore, also both having access to a significant amount of like personality profiling tools. Yes. <laughs> and so having this shortcut into a deep understanding of each other and how the other person works. Because for a lot of people in our position, I would really recommend like doing a whatever personality profiling tool of t- choice and talking about, you know, because the things that you complement each other in,
0: are also the things that drive you crazy. Absolutely, it's like it's like your daughter Zoe. Like yeah,
1: awesome. And <laughs> those are the things that are the same, though. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. It becomes a lot like it has a lot of analogy or parallels to marriage. Yes, and long-term relationship that has you've got this joint impact on each other and on outcomes, and you know, navigating through that over long periods of time in a way that's different from co-workers, and we had worked together previously. Yes, I often joke, I suspect my husband will never listen to this because it's about board governance, but I often joke that my partnership with Michelle is like marriage but with someone with far more emotional intelligence. <laughs> 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 but to be fair to my very lovely husband, you know, Michelle is incredibly qualified. <laughs> in the art of that's right of working through emotional <laughs> intelligence and interpersonal dynamics um i don't know that they teach you that in law school which is you know the qualification background that my husband has had access to so
0: <laughs> oh that's interesting that's my background as well and i'm literally about to do the emotional intelligence report accreditation Yes, which, which is one of the reasons why, and Michelle was very
1: keen on it too, because she, I think the other thing we've noticed is the gap between the theoretical and the lived experience. So Michelle has this really deep background in learning and development, but one of the things she used to do with her former employer was run um, board-ready programs. So like this incredible experience in governance. Now, I've got this legal background and then and you you run this business and it all theoretically makes sense and you know i, I remember kind of going through the business model and being like yep that's that's going to work <laughs> and then of course everything takes longer than you think it will everything's just that 25% harder than you think it's going to be you know you got to decide are you going to launch before you're perfectly ready or are you going to wait for how are you going to continue to motivate yourself without burning yourself out all of those kind of tensions and it has, it always blows my mind. And this is why the beginner's mindset is so useful. But I personally am someone who am just constantly surprised that doing something for the first time is quite hard. (laughs) I think that that's kind of a bit of a um, trick for advice addicts. And I love that term because having been a lawyer and then a HR practitioner and then I mean, coaching isn't so much advising, but playing roles and consulting, like a lot of those roles sitting in the not the decision maker's seat gives you, I think, a false sense of security because you get to look at a lot of those things and people come to you for your little part of piece of expertise, which you get to sit very comfortably and feel very expert in. And then when you have to do it, (laughs) it's always a good reflection that you might have been a bit hard on others.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nothing like holding up the mirror in that moment about, oh, yeah, now we have to do it. I see. I see the tensions in this. I see the frustrations. I see the challenges. And just the, just the classic risk of business, which is how much money do I invest in this
1: and what's my level of comfort in that and what's my level of confidence of there being a return on investment?
0: And I'm guessing like thinking about even risk through the business frame, I guess, the business eyes, and then the governance, and then the shareholder, I'm guessing there's slightly different perspectives. I mean, when you're in it and building it, oh, let's just do this, and let's just do that. Like, we'll just keep building it and putting in the investment. From a director's perspective, it might be a little bit like, hmm, should we really be doing this? How much risk are we going to go? And from a shareholder perspective, even more, hang on a minute, are we... Yeah, when am I going to see that again? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, again, I love that you've so consciously done, what do we need to do in the business? What do we need to do as governors? What do we need to do as shareholders? And thought about some of those things that could go wrong. I think you said earlier as well, even having those conversations about it, it, in some ways it means things are less likely to go wrong. It's just that good example of
1: decision making in the times of calm so that you don't have to make decisions in times of stress. And that's kind of the foundation of a whole heap of governance approaches, right? It's like, well, that's why we have the policy and procedure, that's why we have the manual, that's why we have the crisis management plan. Because, of course, under stress, like the classic things that happen is fight or flight. Uh, So, yeah, avoidance and conflict tend to play out. Or like freezing is a really common thing as well. It's fun to think about how big could this business model get and you know like we look at institutions like the Australian Institute of Management which is has an incredibly enormous offering and wouldn't of course would not think of us in their competitive map <laughs> the leadership fundamentals program that we offer for first time leaders or leaders who haven't had access to training and then also our emerging leader programs like those two programs are competing with that kind of much bigger organization And you think about that in the long term about, okay, well, what does it mean to build out more offerings? What would it look like to be a player in the marketplace, like these businesses that are 20, 30, 50 years ahead of you? And then what, yeah, what does that mean for the future? And the reason why it's so important to define those roles is because in fact, what Michelle wants out of that and what I want out of that might start looking different over time. And we're at different, not incredibly, she'll be, (laughs) we're at different ages and stages of our lives, not hugely, but her kids will graduate from high school much earlier than mine will. And so that'll be a different proposition about what role you want to play in in this business.
0: Oh, so fantastic. So, Alan, you know, we've talked about you know, building that governance that suits you. And I'm guessing there's some lessons in there, both for people who are building organisations, but also those that are in organisations that are more mature, having that conscious thinking around it as well. So what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think the beginner's mindset can be useful at any
1: stage. And I'm working in a bank at the moment, which is a community-owned bank, and it's celebrating its 50th year. And it's got a beautiful story of Starting with 10 teachers who each put in $10. And I was just thinking about that this morning before I spoke to you, which is, I can't imagine that they thought that there would be a 300 person organisation with thousands of members, you know, with a billion dollar, maybe not million, million dollar, you know, like millions of dollars in the, the loan book, you know. And it's always exciting about thinking about my, our little company and what that might look like over time. But whichever stage you're in at your business, having a beginner's mindset about what's possible in the future, I think is really useful. And the other thing for that I think is specifically useful for self-owned businesses or privately owned businesses is, yeah, thinking about those different hats and how, how you want to manage that. And we're early in the game, but eventually, you know, succession will be something that we all need to think about,
0: which is what's the eventual exit strategy?
1: Um, because nothing lasts
0: forever. And I think that's even a good thing as well too. Often I think people think about the exit of an organisation. It's like, oh, it's failed. It's like it hasn't failed. It's succeeded. That's exactly. Yeah. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Um, Well, I would love you to go to our website, www.growthcollective.com.au.
1: We've just launched um, our training dates for 2023. So they're available if you've got Anyone in your life, work or at home, who is a new leader or hasn't had access to leadership training before, we've got a um, six workshop program that we love it. We're really loving running and getting some really great feedback from. And then we're also launching our Emerging Leaders program next year for those who are aspiring to their first leadership position in the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Alan, thank you so much for coming and sharing. And particularly when it's quite new, I think you said at the start, it's like, oh, should I be sharing this or shouldn't I? And this is the way we learn is by hearing people's stories and having the beginner's mindset. So thank you so much for having the courage to share your beginner's mindset uh, and helping the Take On Board community to think about things that they should be thinking about in either setting up or reflecting on their own organisation as well so thank you for sharing with the take on board community today you're so welcome thanks for having me so that's a wrap for the take on board podcast today thank you so much for being here and being part of the take on board community i do this podcast because i love bringing good women together so i invite you to join us over in the take on board facebook group an active group that helps supports and cheer squads each other Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.